Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Wieder mehr als 40.000 Tote allein in den letzten Wochen. Es ist vorbei. der Menschlichkeit. Ich bitte Sie um den Waffenstillstand. Vous avez 72 heures pour accepter nos conditions. Ich werde nicht kapitulieren. Meine Mutter wollte nicht, dass ich in Krieg ziehe. Ich wollte Ihnen zeigen, dass ich das kann. Ach, Paul. Ja, meine Hose kommen. Schließen wir Frieden. Ich habe Angst vor dem, was kommt. Wo muss ich jetzt tapfer sein? Für die, die es nicht geschafft haben. Für uns alle. Edward Berger's adaptation of the classic World War I novel All Quiet on the Western Front for Netflix has had a remarkable award season. The film earned nine Oscar nominations, including Best Picture, Adapted Screenplay, International Feature, Cinematography, Production Design, Makeup and Hairstyling, Visual Effects, and Sound and Score. In this episode, we'll be talking about the effective use of sound combined with the score to create a haunting, foreboding, and immersive world. Joining me are composer Volker Bertelmann, who was Oscar-nominated once previously for Garth Davis's Lion. We're also joined by supervising sound editor and sound designer Frank Cruz, co-sound designer Marcus Stemmler, and re-recording mixer Lars Ginzel. I'm Carolyn Giardina. Welcome to the Hollywood Reporter's Behind the Screen. 
welcome and congratulations on the film and on your nominations. Yeah, thank you Thanks, so much. Calderon. Thank you so much. Thank you, thank you for having us. So let's start when you first began talking about the project with Edward. What were some of the things you talked about and what you wanted to accomplish with the sound and the score? Volker, would you like to start? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you know, I mean, we were, I was in Berlin for a screening um, and that was maybe the latest who was coming on board. Um, and uh, so when I saw the film, it was already very much in a very good shape. And um, I got like uh, a few instructions from Edward, like, you know, he was saying that he wants to have some music for um, Paul Bäumer's stomach. Uh, he wants to have some destruction, so to destroy the images with music. And he wanted to have um, a snare drum that isn't played by somebody who can't play the snare. That were the three things <laughs> that are <laughs> the three uh, sentences I received. And the other thing was that he asked me to do something that I've never done before. And uh, that was that was mainly it. So I went back home. Um, and I mean, I saw the film already with a lot of, uh, you know, battle um, sounds. And um, I mean, they were not finished, but they were already in a, in a shape where I could imagine that there will be loud noises mixed with music. So I had to find a, a way of, um, you know, um, like places in the music where I can um, place the music uh, so that you can hear it properly. And so my first thought was, was that I might have to find a small little element that is actually the beginning three-note element that I can use in little gaps when the explosions stop, and then I can have that harmonium playing these three notes. That was the first initial idea. Yeah, Edward sent me a script uh, probably, I don't know, probably a couple of months be, before they started prepping and the shoot. And uh, yeah, I, I, I went through the script and was blown away from what I read there and uh, knew immediately what, you know, the challenges we would be facing in terms of the, uh, the vehicles, the, you know, uh, trucks and, and tanks from, from the time that are super hard to source or... Uh, uh, record in post. So I got in touch with um, the production sound mixer, Victor Prasciel, and uh, we had a long online conversation about what elements to try and record during the shoot or which ones were really crucial to record on set because, um, yeah, this was at pretty much at the height of, of COVID in, in Europe and especially the Czech Republic. So there was no, there, w there wasn't even the slightest chance for us to, to go on set and grab extra sounds like we normally used to do. Like on other shoots, I would always try to encourage, obviously, the, encourage the sound recorders on set to grab as many wild tracks and extra sounds that are unique to the to the location as you can. But um, of course, they are super busy. Um, you know, getting clean dialogue and there's very little time. So it's pretty rare that, that you can have uh, a giant crew uh, of, you know, a couple of hundred people on set wait on sound for like a three minute extra take. Uh, um, so, yeah, so we, we made a big list of, of things that, that uh, would be great to grab on set. And he brought in extra microphones and additional helping hands, uh, who would always like in the you know in between takes or whenever there was a a chance to grab a bunch of the 
a couple of hundred extras they had on set to grab them and ask them to, um, you know, run through the mud or roll around in the dirt and, and, uh, or, you know, die <laughs> for, for sound again. And, uh, yeah, so this, this list was, was the start I wanted to get out of the way and, and kind of brief him that these were really crucial. And then I did a lot of, uh, research on uh, actual recordings from that time. So um, I dug around and tried to find possible um, early recordings because the, the wax cylinder was already invented. So technically it would have been possible to record. Though I'd imagine that the availability I'm sure was very limited. Yeah, yeah. That there was, it was very unlikely that someone would have had the time to record, you know, on a sensitive instrument like a wax cylinder uh, recorder in the trenches. So, um, yeah, that was out of the way. Uh, so to be clear, did, did you use anything in the end from that was archival? No, no, there, there's one, there's really one, uh, recording I came across and that was, it's, it's really, really lo-fi, obviously, you know, tons of crackle and nothing we could possibly use for this. Obviously it was just too, yeah, just too, too old, too vintage, but it, it gave you an idea yeah, like you could hear like details like gas cylinders firing off. But later I came across another article about this recording that allegedly, that said it's allegedly uh, a stage recording from that time. And so it turned out it's not really 100% confirmed that's, that even that recording is 100% authentic. So, um, yeah, but the main the main inspiration was really reading, reading, uh, articles and uh, uh, especially written records from the time because there were many writers, German writers that went to the front like Remark himself and they wrote back home to their loved ones and uh, describing the, the the horror of the soundscape they were, they were faced with every day, the barrages of ongoing like 24-hour mortar uh, bomb, bombardments and stuff like that and that very detailed almost musical descriptions of how those sounded. And um, that led me to kind of the idea that it wouldn't make sense for us to try and recreate a scientifically correct uh, soundscape of World War One, where it's, you know, the exact gas uh, canister or the exact grenade uh, would, would fire off on screen, etc. So we went we decided just to to tackle everything from a from an emotional perspective. Let's talk about some of the equipment that you had to record. Well, Victor, he he uh, did an amazing job capturing the uh, the vintage uh, vehicles they had on set, like the the trucks, for example. We knew that these vehicles would be super hard to come by, like in in you know after the fact after the shoot like six months later in Berlin. And we we didn't know what would happen in terms of COVID. So it was really crucial to to capture those on set. And he did like multi, multi-track recordings of all the vehicles, like the, the limousine. There's a very broad uh, recording of that one with multiple onboard microphones inside, outside. Uh, and he, he recorded all the... Uh, the props tank that they had on set and so that became the basis and fundament to um, and we did design and, and add more sounds obviously on top of that but uh, they they the what's gr what was great about those um, recordings because they somehow 
had like a, how should I say this? Like a, a, a very kind of raw and, and original character to them because they were uh, recorded in the moment without, you know, without often without uh, a huge attention to ultimate fidelity. So they sounded really real. And uh, same is true for all the crowd recordings that they grabbed on set. And luckily, Edward, the director, is a huge fan of recording uh, uh, wild tracks on set, which is really, really rare, um, uh, at least in, in from my perspective. Like, uh, he's... he. Yeah, he he joined Victor recording extra takes with the crowd while while really the the entire film crew was waiting on them. So really that credit definitely goes to Victor and Edward that we that they brought home these recordings. So we ended up with a huge library of I don't know 3 or 400 wild tracks from set which is normally unheard of on on films of this scale because the focus is so on you know the stress level is so high on uh uh, capturing the pictures and, and filming, basically. Usually there's there's no time set aside for this stuff, but Edward is, is really kind of a, a fan of that. So, And and this was actually a very short uh, production schedule, too. Yeah, I think 50 days of shooting, I believe. And uh, our schedule was pretty tight, too. We had like, I don't know, the core time was, I think, eight or nine weeks for the initial track lay. We had a, a week during uh while they were editing the picture where the first battle scene was kind of uh pre-designed and and we made a layout for that so they could continue refining the picture cut for that one but otherwise it it was a pretty tight uh tight schedule for us definitely Marcus do you want to talk about some of the additional elements of the sound design Yeah um sure the as Frank mentioned the the load of um wild tracks we got from the from the shoot was just um was so huge that it was um um for us like the perfect starting point of course you add tons of uh, additional elements on on top of these uh, of the elements or the recordings we got from set but it already gives you a, a perfect idea um uh, and a lot of inspiration too um how to how to treat a scene and um, because they are also um, not just in the wild tracks but also in the in the in the rushes themselves you you would hear explosions from the set or or gunshots and uh, sometimes from a very interesting um, sonic angle and uh, there were lots of snippets that had um, a lot of character and um, we we went through lots of recordings and then um, just grabbed those little pieces and um, combined them and built something new out of them so the yeah the the inspiration with uh, that come came from all these ride tracks uh, were incredible what are some of the things that you recorded yeah, uh, well, I would think uh, maybe what's interesting, we, we added a lot of heavy metal uh, recordings, which we used for the tanks later on, because that was something that they didn't have, that uh, metallic character, um, like the, the, the prop tanks. But for us, it felt like an um, interesting aspect of the vehicle's uh, story rise, because... Um, they were so um, resistant against um, 
bullet impacts that was very important to to get that aspect across. One one of the things that Marcus mentioned was was the character of the of the sounds that Marcus and Frank created, and I think that's one of the things that's really uh, standing out uh, in terms of the material that they brought to to the mix, and because every every single explosion in itself had its character, but they they were able to to create character for those different kinds of explosions depending on what kind of uh if it was a motor or uh, uh if it was a, a heavy gun fired or uh, the german guns as opposed to the french guns so everything was very distinct in its character and was just really easy to read in it in its um emotional uh impact and and so um, I, I think that that's something that really struck me uh, when mixing everything, like how much character each and every of those sounds had and how many layers were used to create those kind of characters. Outside of the production sound, did did you go out and, you know, find some weapons and make these recordings or did you use library material or was it a combination of both? It's it's a combination of both. Like we, uh, like Marcus mentioned, we we extracted a lot of the uh, the props gunshots that were coming in over the 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 microphones of each characters. Like Victor had this uh, came up with this idea of mounting two lav mics, radio mics on each actor. So the idea was to have one in in the helmet and one on the body. So one of the microphones would would always turn around with their heads, you know, if, if when they moved away from camera, so to capture all the close up breathing. And they they had also very different gain staging. So one microphone was was gained up a lot to capture the the quiet breathing and would completely overload on on a close by fire or, uh, you know, uh, a squib or a grenade blowing up next to them. So these sounds we extracted and treated and make them, make, made them bigger, but they had this special character of being like a, a mix of distortion and the special, I don't know how to describe it. It's like the, the, the kind of the, what you get a lot from documentary films, like with uh, gunfire explosions blowing up just to next to the built-in, microphone of a camera so they were super helpful to create these um or to preserve the kind of the raw um doc documentary style sound uh there so a lot of a, a, really a lot of the sounds are based on these and uh yeah and like the we did a there's a session of 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 boulder for the for the uh you know in the bunker scene the 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 wooden pieces that come down and recorded a ton of dirt for the for for those scenes and stuff like that really a lot of stuff because this film um probably it, it doesn't you know it's probably a a, a a mix of uh i would i wouldn't call them naturalistic sounds but you know in the end it's soldiers running through mud in the trenches, in water, in dirt, falling down, etc. It's not, there's no R2-D2 in the film, you know what I mean? So um, uh, uh, in the end, is, is it's, it's about creating a, a believable world with uh, 
with our excellent Foley team and, you know, to, to be able to shift in and out of the uh, first person point of view and the, uh, how do you say, a documentary kind of camera perspective. So, um, yeah. And then we recorded some stuff for the, for the flamethrowers and uh, it, like the Foley team, they have a, a dummy uh, uh, it's made of ballistic gel it's like the half of a human torso i would say or it's a, let's say it's a torso and it's made of ballistic gel which is normally used to uh, probe and test uh, uh, bullets in forensic uh, investigations it has the same density as human flesh and is as heavy so it's a super heavy uh, like a yeah like a dummy that you can throw around and uh, recorded that for uh, extra body falls and stuff like that throw that off the uh, threw it off the roof of our studio and yeah well we brought some clips the first one is um called bunker lars would you actually like to introduce this and talk about uh some of the elements and um and your approach to that scene uh it's the first um real heavy assault on 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 the boys when they're in in the trenches and um so basically they they just run for the bunkers and 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 try to wait there and then they um the the grenade fire comes cl closer and closer until the bunk collapses so it's uh it in the nature of the scene is that it's just getting louder and louder and louder until um everything collapses <laughs> um in a way so um the the difficulty in a way was to because we're coming out of a moment of silence which really helps to to set up everything uh to set up the ground for being able to 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 raise the volume um like we have to do um but we're we're still coming from a music cue when we have those first explosions and and the one of the difficulties throughout the whole film was that there's often loud things happening one after another and we still needed um some some extra space to to move up to in terms of dynamics so it would not just feel like a big cacophony um being more and more uh in the end so uh, all those little pauses were really crucial in creating that so once we get inside the bunker um the there's a there's a pause in the fire of the grenades and and so we really try to calm things down for that moment um before um like the real chaos starts so um it starts with a bit of chaos and we think like oh that's chaos and then uh, the second step is the real chaos when when the collapse happens i could i could i could actually i could actually see lars sweating keeping the levels keeping the levels i i saw him in the mixing stage when i visited them he was like oh my god it's so much level you know <laughs> i remember and uh, i think that was I, I was always surprised surprised that in the end uh you know it in the cinema it did, didn't sound like you know that I, it actually had such a dynamic which was fantastic I mean that that's one of the the challenges when you're when you're actually mixing it or uh, and and when when you're in the mix and working on these loud and long sequences um just 
not losing your ears and and not losing your focus so you really have to know what you're doing um otherwise you'll you'll ear your ears or just human ears fatigue quite quickly so um you're just moving everything up and up and up and up and so in the end it's just going to be unbearable and we never really wanted to be unbearable with the soundtrack so that was one of the big challenges we had edward edward's briefing for that scene was really when we uh showed him our first uh kind of uh design for that scene was really you know think of das boot you know the the the, the famous uh uh, uh submarine film the german one so and edward is really brief in his uh in his uh, requests so but that that everyone knew what you know what he meant so the kind of so that scene became like a let's say a a, a wooden version of das boat with the dirt uh, coming from the ceiling instead of water so that was a that was a big inspiration for that scene kind of to keep the the creeks going, you know, you, you don't know, is this thing going to collapse or not? And then make room for the dialogue, um, as well. And kind of orchestrate these, these, um, uh, orchestrate the grenade, grenades, uh, grenade impacts. So they wouldn't step over the dialogue and stuff like that. And then, uh, escalate, you know, and then once it, it comes down, we go into total silence. for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Volker, let's talk about the score. Um, for the giant chords in the film, uh, I understand you used a refurbished harmonium? Yes. Please tell us about that int- instrument and uh, and why you chose it. Well, uh, while, I was, uh, while I was on my ride back from uh, Berlin to Dusseldorf, I was thinking that I want to have a you know, an instrument from that time in a way because I had the feeling it needs some connection to that time but at the same time, I didn't want it to have a dated instrument that may feels very old. And that what I also had the feeling that it needs maybe an instrument that is a little bit like a machine. Because when I saw the first sequence, 
I, I, it reminded me a little bit of like old black and white films about explaining industry. You know, it was a, it was a very descriptive, um, 10 minutes of, you know, the, the, the war machine in, in a way. It explains how the uniforms are washed and how, you know, men, dead men are peeled out of their uniforms and they are washed. Then, you know, the names are exchanged and then they're handed on to, uh, new soldiers. And I had the feeling that the de dehumanization of these men need an instrument that has in itself a kind of mechanical, um, noise. At the same time, um, you know, the, there was already the sound line in the, in the score or in the, in, on the film that was actually where these sewing machines that were ticking and there were, more sewing machines coming on top of each other. So it sounded a little bit like there is a, a rhythm section already in place um, without having an instrument. But uh, I mean, this ticking of the sewing machines was fantastic. I really loved it. And so I needed something that was maybe handle it or was going in collaboration with those sounds. And so I remembered the harmonium in my studio that was... Uh, that I got from my grand grandmother, um, and it was, I think, around 1900. It was standing in a small German village uh, for playing Bach pieces, uh, you know, in religious homes. It was, in a way, a, a, a kind of cheap organ for, you know, for pietistic religious people. And um, so when I came home, and I just did the, this harmonium has registers, so you can actually give it a double bass and so i i took all the registers out and i played these um these three notes and i put them through a distortion and while i was doing that i was actually recording the whole inside of the harmonium like the the you know the the pumping of the air the wooden panels on my knees and all the you know the whatever the rattling and the wood that was in it so it sounded a little bit like a cracking machine underneath the sound. Um, uh, and at the same time, I, I pushed the bass of that harmonium. And once I had that in like the first piece ready, which was the very first piece that I wrote on the next day after I've seen the film the first time. And then I, I said, I want to send that to Edward before I continue. Because if that, if he feels like this is shit, then I'm, uh, you know, I'm not, I can't continue, you know, because it was so, I, I was very passionate about it. And I've, I had the feeling that this is actually it, you know, and if you then get a no, you go home and you are depressed and you actually give the B version, which is not so nice. So in a way, I, I you know, I sent it to him and on the next morning, I received a phone call from Edward and his wife and they were cheering in the living room. Like, yes, this is exactly it. <laughs> and I was, I was extremely happy about that.
it really played such a role in just conveying his what he was what Paul is feeling throughout that combined with all of the the sound work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally. I I think also, I mean, that these three notes are actually getting a part of all the other tunes uh, or of all the other cues uh, because. I mean, when we take, for example, the killing of the Frenchman in the trenches, this is also, this is a chordal theme of the same motive, but it's developed into, let's say, a six-tone motive, a little longer, it's a little longer. And then uh, we have also at the very end a string motive that is in a way the same motive again, but very high and fragile and uh, more classical arranged. So what what I really liked after finding that three-note motive, I could use that fragmentally in pauses, but it, was not, it didn't need to be on the grid. But at the same time, I could expand that to something that is very fragile and beautiful and that can actually express, you know, the, the man's longing for a glimpse of uh, you know their past in a way or the the lost homes the, lo- the lost mothers the lost fathers everything that was just you know every now and then they were hoping to get back at some point um i, I i'm i've never it, it's very hard to imagine this um you know this loss or the, that feeling sometimes i can imagine that very slightly but uh I would say, and that is much, much uh, stronger, I think, for those guys. To what extent did the four of you talk, and um, what was your collaborative process like? We never talked. <laughs> no. Um, Just joking. <laughs> no. Actually, the, the scene you talked about earlier, the, the uniform recycling montage, was something we we worked on early on without music, I think, initially. Um because it was about getting the uh, transition of the uh, the sewing machines to the single sewing machine, the sewing machine turning into a machine gun, uh, concept mati- machine gun fire that then cuts to the uh, the uh, the truck, you know, the the chain uh, drive of the truck underneath. So that that transition was something that I think was there before Falker started working. And it was, and Edward's briefing was, um, he talked to us about creating a, a metaphorical sound for the war machine, like something that would reflect or, let's say, carry the machinery of this first industrialized war, you know, the, you know, stuff like pistons, heavy metal machines. Uh, steel mills, um, uh, things like that, to have a kind of a, a sonic undercurrent for that, for the industry that was pounding away, delivering an endless stream of, of weapons and ammunition to the front, and 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 then the soldiers in there that that essentially are turned into the same expendables, you know, like the 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 metal that is delivered to to the front and. That they become killing machines, and there's in the end there's no difference between humans and machines. And so, over that sequence, you hear like the pounding of uh, you know it's pitched down indus- industrial sounds that come in in a rhythmic throbbing. And then when Falka uh, came on board, um, he uh, 
there's another musical pounding element in there that we then and then we went back and tuned the sounds so they won't interfere or let's say so they would become one element kind of borderlining between uh, music and and sound effects in that case so that's that was definitely an area that that uh, required uh, some back and forth and and conversations between between us and then Falka was yeah. in the mix uh, a lot so yeah. that there was definitely no. a lot of uh, collaboration there no but i also had the feeling um sometimes it was not the major part was not the conversation because a lot of times i mean you can say Hey, uh, can you already tell me how much uh, fr low frequency you have in a battle scene? And can you tell me the tuning of it? But nobody knows. And the other way around as well, because it's constantly developing and everybody gets se separate instructions. But what I think was very important, and I think we had that right from the beginning, that you are in touch with each other. So that, for example, you send, um, like I know that we... I, a couple of times I asked, can you send me already a new version of the of the sound effects or can we get actually what is the actual state? Because a lot of times you work to a state uh, of the sound effects that is from the very first, you know, the very first one and you never exchange it and you finish it and then you realize, oh, there is new effects coming so i think what was very nice was uh, that there was at least an exchange between you know i was sending already new cues you could actually get a little bit of an idea how the cues will change what instrumentation they will have um if there might be bass um uh you know if the basses would work together which i think is always a very tricky frequency because if i'm using bass notes and the explosions are so loud that the bass is in a way uh, directing the chord, um, you know, where the chord goes in a way. And the explosions, for example, take that bass movement away. Then suddenly the music starts to crumble and uh, it, it gets uh, not defined. So it needs always this exchange. And with Lars and in the mix, I think that was also very helpful that we all sat together and talked about the levels in certain areas because i could announce for example sometimes hey can you take the ambush a little higher because that is my that's actually keeping all the musical events together and in some areas we could actually lose certain musical elements because it was not so it was not so important or necessary you know so i'd like to talk about the tank scene um for starters this is um a scene when it begins and the tanks appear. Uh, Paul and the other soldiers have never seen these tanks before, and they approach almost like a character in the movie. So to start, would you talk about just creating the sound of the tanks? Yeah. So as you mentioned, um, the, um, the soldiers at that uh, point of the war, they had not yet faced um, tanks like these. Um uh, especially of, of that size so when they when they're in the kitchen and suddenly the the shelves and the table um starts shaking they don't really know what's what's going on um they just know okay something is not right so they just decide to um get out of this field kitchen and and line up in the in the trenches so sound wise um we felt 
the best way to tackle that scene is to just stay with the soldiers and keep up the the unknown, so to speak. Um, so we wouldn't um, sell what's going on by uh, already building a sound wall of tank engines uh, when they when they had not yet seen uh, what what all this trouble is coming from. So we rather decided to only stay with the phenomenons that these tanks created, like the shaking and the rumble. And um, we also had like little pebble stones jumping uh, on the ground. Uh, and and then when they, when they line up in the trenches and they look into the fog, um, they still don't see what's going on. So we um we try to create this kind of ominous sounds uh just to mirror their uh what they see which is like they basically don't see anything so um we try to mirror that in the sound by creating these uh, ominous sounds that kind of echo through the through the through the fog and through the mist and only when um they finally pop up on the horizon this is where we start to hear more specific sounds of the tanks and then um, this is also i think the moment where in that battle um, the music comes back for the first time so in that moment when they're lying in the trenches there's a lot of uh, well crossing over between music and sound design there's some ominous winds and um, there's really interesting stuff, uh, low-frequency stuff in the music that's going on. It's kind of melting and merging into each other uh, to create that sort of uncertainty. And what exactly were, did you record and combine in order to create the sound of the tank? So the tanks consist of a, a bunch of layers. Um, first of all, we had these recordings from Seth, from Victor. He managed to record the, the engine sounds of the prop tanks. And these uh, worked well as a, as a foundation uh, for us. Um, and then it was very important to address... Um, the the aspect that these tanks were really um, resistant against um, bullet impacts. There was a new thing um, for the for the soldiers that um, these tanks were just like all these bullets would just tickle the tanks. So it was very important to um, pronounce that metal shielding of these tanks and. Uh, 
turned them into some sort of, we used to call them iron beasts uh, because they were so solid. Um, so we recorded a bunch of um, heavy metal um, elements um, like like singing metal almost to give them an almost um, kind of an animalic uh, touch. And then we added things like, um, you know, pile drivers and hammers um, and all sorts of like metal sounds that, um, and yeah, little snippets then created the, yeah, the chains and stuff like that. I think one element is a, it's actually a, a ventilation shaft, like an old um, metal, um, like from an air conditioning system. It's like a big, uh, how do you, how would you describe that? Like a square shaped uh, pipe. So that was kind of, uh, how do you say that? Like um, played like an instrument, you know, scratched with forks and, and screeches. And that was then pitched down. Uh, to create the the kind of the howling you hear uh, as they approach. Oh my! So, oh my God! <laughs> yeah, it was really the idea was to to turn them uh, have no engines really and and keep them. Yeah, turn them into almost like the uh, air monsters, essentially iron monsters, like Marcus said. It's probably also the thing that the the least interesting sound or the least threatening sound of those tanks would actually be those engines because they're um it's it, it's not what would cut through the music so like all those metallic uh clinks and clongs of the chains and the friction and the 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 stones being ground uh um all of those gave a lot more um options for shifting through those layers to keep the tanks alive while we also have the music building up quite heavily uh with the with the appearance of the tank so it, it was a um uh it, it was absolutely crucial to have like all these different layers of of uh sounds to to keep the tanks alive in in a in a sense and and to be able to um to uh to actually uh notice them as, as tanks and not just become yet another layer of the music which we wanted to have in the in the first part before we see the tanks that's where we wanted to have this ominous feeling but like once they appear we want to have a clear distinction between the the tanks and the and the music actually and Volker, would you tell us about uh the cue yeah i mean the, the first first thing is that uh, there's a you know when we see the soldiers in the trenches you and of course we heard already that there's some rattling they went out um, i think the mice were running over the floor so in a way all the symbolism is already talking very clearly that some something is coming some you know um something that is extremely dangerous but then they are look watching the horizon and i had the feeling that the music should start there with something that is you know, um, actually not giving away something already at that point that you need actually something that can grow until I would call that uh, clearly a ramp, a ramp until the, the, the tank is appearing. And then, 
after that the, the tank stops and then you know we had a little hole in there and just wait and build up again the music and uh and then there's in in a way the the whole queue is to like three ramps in a way well, there's one where the tank uh you know stops again and then we have another ramp before it's shooting its first bullet so in a way it's just like these increasing points of tension um and what but at the same time what i th think is very interesting also from the for me as a musician um not only hearing what um those guys are saying but at the same time also seeing the the sound files and everything that they are you know bringing into the process which i think is with music with my way of music making the similar thing that i sometimes i want to find something that is not exactly identifiable with something that you see but it brings across exactly what it is so um and and sometimes that is not the real sound because when you record the real sound it's so harmless that you think like oh um this is not working we need a we need something like more intense so what i tried a lot with my cue um i worked with a contrabass player from berlin called Yair Klotmann, and he he recorded for me a lot of like very like low bass um you know i would say treatments in a way where he was like scratching and you know making these slaps that are sounding like a you know like something is falling down a cliff on on a whatever on a metal plate but there was there was something so um rudimental in that sound i couldn't i was wouldn't be able to find a sound like that in my in my library so i was very happy about him and there's also the the ramps are so dangerous in a way when you listen to them by themselves because they are he's just it's distorted contrabass uh, played like eight or nine or ten layers on top of each other slowly coming back and on 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 and on and on and i this is um when i heard those from him i was saying this is exactly what i want So another example of the use of sound, would you like to talk about the uh, the scene with the craters where it sounds like you made some interesting choices? Yeah, so there's this moment when uh, after after um, Paul has killed the French soldier and is kind of, and, and there's this strange time jump where it cuts to the white shot and he just sits there all alone and devastated and exhausted. We brought in... Uh, birds uh, to kind of create this moment of of weird uh, peace and exhaustion uh, for him like almost like we we try to enter his 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 mind looking up the sky and wishing himself away from the from that horrific situation and uh, 
to emphasize that, which is kind of the the concept for the whole film, we didn't use a lot of like designy stuff, uh, like weird sounding drones and and things like that. Uh, most of the most of the uh, the shifts um, that we try to create, we want to f uh, keep them, or uh, uh, we wanted to make them feel still naturalistic, like in the shell shock moments uh, under the you know after the. The bunker collapses, or when when uh, in in the tank attack sequence where he sees uh, his comrade being killed, and and then in the in the in the crater, we went for this really simple idea of adding birds that didn't make sense at all from a logical uh, standpoint. You know, why why would there be birds in 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 that field? Um, but it kind of carried the idea was to. Add something that again has a an idea, a metaphorical idea for that for that emotional situation. So those birds are actually swifts and swallows uh, in there, and they technically they're not even present in Europe in winter because they fly south in winter, and they never or they rarely uh, land on the ground. They they spend almost their whole life in the air. They even sleep in the air. Um, so that was kind of an interesting. Uh, Let's say, I mean, for the people who don't know all of that, they they will just hear birds tweeting. But uh, if you want, you can you can find uh, a bigger or a, let's say a more poetic, a metaphorical meaning in that sound and and uh, and the sh uh, and the uh, the sound of the birds uh, itself created this kind of yeah peaceful, strange, lonesome moment, which which we thought was really beautiful and and connected to to Paul's emotion in that situation so Well, we're almost out of time, but before we wrap, would you like to give a shout out to your teams? Huge shout out to our fantastic Foley team, Foley artist Carsten Richter and Daniel Weiss, Foley mixer Hanse Vans, our incredible dialogue team, which are the the unsung heroes of this film, really, Alexander Buck and, and Benjamin Herbe, who recorded a ton of additional um, outdoor ADR stuff, like, uh, you know, all the soldiers dying and, and uh, all that stuff. They did a fantastic job. Um, Thomas Calbert, um, uh, Moritz Hofmeister, Moritz Hofmeister uh, ADR editors, Victor's team, his boom operator, additional recordings on set, uh, recorders on set he had. Oh, and Kunel Song, our, our uh, brilliant uh, Foley editor, and uh, anyone else I've, I've missed. Well, again, congratulations on the film, on your nominations, and thank you so much for joining us to talk about your work. Thank, thank you. Thank you, Caroline. Thank you very much. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.